Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Mark chapter 13. Let me back up to get the context of this so we know where the Lord is with his disciples. These events, of course, are taking place during the last week of Christ's ministry. Let's begin at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 13. As he went out of the temple, one of the disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another. Thou shalt not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, so they moved from the temple across the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives, over against the temple, so they're looking back at the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled. And then the Lord proceeded to tell them that. If you cross-reference that with Matthew's rendition of this, in Matthew chapter 24, you get a little bit, uh, one more detail that Mark does not record for us. In Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So Matthew adds that comment, part of the question, what shall be the sign of thy coming? That's where we are in the discourse. If we go back to Mark 13, we have Jesus' description of the first half of the tribulation up through verse 13. We have the abomination of desolation mentioned in verse 14. I believe that takes place in the middle of the tribulation. And then you have some things mentioned as you continue through the chapter, which would fit into the second half of the tribulation. And we are going to pick up our study and our reading tonight in verse 24. Mark 13:24. But in those days, and Jesus is continuing right along, but in those days, Now notice the time frame. After that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of the heavens shall fall and the powers that are in the heavens shall be shaken. And then, another time word, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then, another time word, shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of the heaven. Now in these verses in Mark, we have three events. 
Okay, the, the phenomenal things happening in the universe, the stars, the moon, the sun. And then verse 26, the second event, the coming of the Son of Man in the clouds with great power and glory. And then thirdly, his angels being sent to gather together the elect from the four winds. Now, Jesus is not giving us prophetic charts and uh, telling us all about what will happen The disciples are asking, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when these all these things shall be fulfilled? And according to Mark or Matthew also, what is the sign of your second coming? And so he's been giving signs of the end time. Not signs for the rapture as we look at it from the church age perspective, but signs of the latter days. We've said in Mark, that there were eight different signs, and then the ninth sign was the abomination of desolation. That more or less covered the last section of the chapter. And now we have the coming of the Son of Man. I've pointed out to you a number of times that the sun being darkened, the moon turning to blood, may happen at a variety of times throughout the end time event. In the book of Revelation, we talked about before chapter 12 and 13, the persecution of Israel, the manifestation of the Antichrist. He's already there, I believe, but now he breaks his covenant. Okay, we're in the middle of the tribulation, which would be pictured here. He breaks his covenant with Israel and now turns against Israel uh, instead of helping them and uh, tries to destroy the woman and her child. We have the beast out of the sea, chapter 13, and uh, which is the Antichrist, and the second beast, the false prophet. And then let's just kind of jump into verse chapter 14. Revelation 14, I looked, and behold, a lamb stood on the Mount Sinai, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written on their foreheads. We pointed out last week, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the tribulation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters. That was described in the first chapter of Revelation. Picture of the Lord Jesus, the voice of great thunder. Heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, new song from the throne. And before the four beasts, and the elders and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which have not defiled uh, with women, for they are virgins. There are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits of God and to the Lamb. And in their mouths was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And we have a lot of angels. There was a, saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwelt on the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So we have the gospel being preached to the whole world during the tribulation. With the utilization of 144,000, with the two witnesses, with the angelic message that we read about here, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the foundation, uh, fountains of uh, uh, the earth. There's a message about the fall of Babylon, some visions about the coming destruction, 
and then we come to chapter 15, and I'm picking all those details out. Those are all details that would fit into the second half of the tribulation. And then chapter 15, John says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. So that tells me that's the end of the wrath of God. So as we see the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the vile judgments opening, they're increasing in intensity, which is in keeping with what Jesus taught in the Olivet Discourse, that the second half of the tribulation is more intense in its judgment than the first half. So now we have the seven bowler or vile judgments you have chapter 17 and 18. And so that kind of gives you a little bit of an overview of things. Chapter 15, you have the beginning of the opening of the vials, and then chapter 16, the, the vials are open, and those judgments are poured out. And then chapter 17 and 18 are the view about Babylon and sort of the close of the tribulation. A key verse would be 17, Revelation 17, 5. This woman upon her forehead was the written mystery Babylon, the great mother of harlots and abomination of abominations of the earth. It's a mystery. Many of us believe there is a political and an economical Babylon. The economical with the, the mark of the beast that you cannot buy or sell without the mark, um, and the political political slash religious with the one world government, uh, the ten kings being unified and all of that sort of thing. Again, I'm summarizing all of that in order to get to the second coming of Christ. The theme of chapter 17 and 18 is that Babylon is fallen. Chapter 18, for instance, uh, let's read the first two verses. And after these things, again, time word here in the book of Revelation, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. To so just summarize, Babylon would be the kingdom of the Antichrist. Okay, so it's destroyed, it's fallen by the end of the tribulation, and the Lord is the one who does that. All right? Let's read the end of chapter 18, verse 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and, and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down, and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of the harpers and the musicians and the pipers and the trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found 
the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. So Babylon's destroyed. Alright? So now we're at the end of the tribulation. Probably those 75 clean-up days before the Lord actually comes back again. And then chapter 19 of Revelation. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are all His judgments. For He hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of His servants at her hand. I think that takes you back to chapter 6, when the martyrs at the fifth seal are martyred and they're crying out, How long, O Lord? Now the Lord has avenged the martyrs. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, verse 9, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren, and have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, John has been in this chapter looking at the vision in heaven. And now he says, I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This white horse rider is the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly. He's faithful and true. You can't say that about the Antichrist. This is now the second coming of Christ. Now, back to what we were talking about with Mark. In Mark's Gospel... The disciples are asking, when shall be the sign of the end? When shall be, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And so Jesus says, and in those days, after the tribulation, I'm reading Mark 13, 24, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in the heavens shall be shaken. I don't know where we fit that chronologically into the book of Revelation, but evidently, according to Jesus' message here, this is after the tribulation that there's these phenomenal events. The sun darkened, the moon not giving her light, the stars falling, the powers that are in the heavens, which would be the stars and the planets or whatever, shaken. Okay? Phenomenal physical event. Does the Lord use natural events? We do know about the eclipses, the darkening of the moon and the turning of the sun into blood. These things have happened a number of times and they correspond with some of the Jewish feasts. 
But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened. I don't think it's the first time the sun is darkened. How's that going to happen? Is it going to be something that God does spectacular, supernaturally, or naturally? You know, it's up to him. He's in control of all of this, right? The sun being darkened and the moon not giving her light. We see that in the various eclipses. We've seen fallen stars, meteorites and different things like that. Uh, the powers that are in heaven shaken. So these are some end time events that will take place. Astronomical things. Yes, we could call them signs. We're already seeing some of those take place. You can go and look these up and find the falling stars, meteorites, and what have you. The sun being darkened and the moon turning to blood. He doesn't mention turning to blood here, but being uh, darkened and all of those things. I don't have the time to do it tonight, but there are a number of prophecies. Isaiah, Joel, and then, uh, of course, we have this passage in the Olivet Discourse that prophesy the moon... Uh, darkening, the sun darkening, and so forth, the stars of the heavens. And you'd have to go back to each one of those prophecies and try to fit them in to where Isaiah, or whoever it is, is talking about those things. Isaiah mentions two places. If you want to look them up, I'll give you the references. Isaiah 13, verses 10 through 13. And Isaiah 24, verses 17 to 22. Let me read just Isaiah thirteen ten through 13. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and for the wicked for their iniquity. I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophar. Therefore will I shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place, and in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. See, that's all connected with judgment. Joel mentions the uh, moon and sun and so forth darkening in two places. Joel 2, verses 30 and 31 and then again in chapter 3. Now I think Joel is also written in a chronological fashion, so if that's the case, you have two places, two times in end time events when you have some of these astronomical things taking place. Wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire, pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. And then again, he says it again. Chapter 3, the sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. So I've, I've warned you before, don't make all of these references to the sun being darkened and the moon not giving her light or whatever it says as the same event. It may be multiple events several times throughout the tribulation. According to the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is telling us this will happen at the end of the tribulation, after the tribulation, very clear there in the words of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so the, the one we're reading about in the Olivet Discourse takes place after. Some of them may take place in the middle of the tribulation. All right, so just some phenomenal events taking place. 
Luke also records this twice in his gospel. He talks about uh, in Luke 17. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. What was the fire and brimstone that came out of heaven in Lot's day? Well, God can, will do that again. Alright, where's that prophecy fit? That's a good question. And then in Luke, we have another one in Luke 21, verses 25 through 26. Peter quotes the passage from Joel in his Day of Pentecost message. And then you have some of these things referred to in Revelation chapter 6. Let's just take a quick peek at that. Revelation chapter 6 would be the sixth seal. This would be way back in the beginning of the first half of the tribulation, if our chronology of Revelation is correct. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. Revelation 6 and verse 12, And behold, I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, the moon became as blood, the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she's shaken of a mighty wind. Phenomenal astrological events. I think they take place several times throughout the tribulation. I think you're going to get mixed up and messed up if you try to equate these events as the same thing that Jesus is talking about in the Olivet Discourse. I think it happens again at the end of the tribulation, as Jesus clearly presents in his Olivet Discourse. So, that's the first thing that takes place, some astronomical events. Then there is the coming of the Son of Man. Back to um, Mark 13. Mark 13, verse 26. And then, another time word, shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. We get from that, we compare Scripture with Scripture, every eye shall see Him. And He comes with power and great glory. If you go back to the book of Revelation, you can see that. As we began to read there in Revelation 19, there is the white horse rider who has the name Faithful and True. And... His eyes are as the flame of fire, Revelation 19.12. He has a name written that no man knew but he himself. He has uh, cl- was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. Where did he get that blood? Where's the blood of Jesus today? You better stay in heaven. Amen. I don't understand that. It didn't dissipate into the ground and go nowhere. It's in heaven. And uh, the blood of Jesus with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him. I believe that's the church thing. We have been in heaven during this whole time of tribulation upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule with a rod of iron, and treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. He that hath, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. That's the second coming of Christ. And Mark records it here as the words of the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man shall come in power 
and great glory. It's not over yet, folks. The last chapter is yet to be fulfilled. It's written, but it's yet to be fulfilled. And so we have the power of the coming of the Son of Man. Again, there are many prophecies uh, about that. When the disciples saw the Lord ascend into heaven, the angel left a message there. Uh, said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up to you from you into heaven shall so come in like manner, power and great glory, as you've seen him go into heaven. And uh, <clears throat> we have uh, the books of, let's look at First and Second Thessalonians, well, Second Thessalonians. All of the chapters in the First and Second Thessalonians have something to say about the second coming of the Lord. Uh, let's just look at two places. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. Second Thessalonians 1, 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. <clears throat> and then chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 18 and when and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming so we have the the coming of the Lord in power and great glory and uh, so we read about that there in Revelation chapter number 19 and then one more event that Jesus prophesied there's the phenomenal astrological events, the heavens and the moon, the stars, and so forth. The coming of the Son of Man, Mark chapter 13, verse 27. And then, third event, shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of the heaven. Here's the third event of Jesus' return is the angels gathering the elect. You have a question, who are the elect? I think the elect are Israel. My opinion is that when the rapture takes place, it is only church saints, those who are in Christ, Revelation or First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, who are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I'll change my mind if I see some Old Testament saints on the way up. My thought is Old Testament saints stay in the grave until after the tribulation. And then they're resurrected. So we have a hint of the resurrection of the Old Testament saints here in the Olivet Discourse and the Lord gathering His saints, the elect, from the four winds. That's from all directions, of course. And, of course, any of the folks that might be uh, left after or in a part of the tribulation. So the angels gathering these elects and then uh, they uh, worshiping the Lord together, I guess, is what the idea is of this, from the othermost part of the earth and to the othermost part of heaven. So that's all part of the second coming of Christ. That's all in preparation for the kingdom. Okay, so Israel's going to be there, and I think that's when they get there. That's my opinion about that. 
The Lord's coming. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at these prophetic events. We're excited about them. We're looking for them. We pray even as John did at the end of the book of Revelation, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. And looking for your second coming. We're curious, like the disciples, Lord, when shall be the sign of these events? When shall be the sign of your second coming? And we're not told the hour or the day. We're just told to be ready. And pray that you'll help us to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Amen. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my son's alive. I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, This is Dr. Lee Hennice, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached the church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again.